Coming up, conference championship game breakdown with Gabe Shaner. It was a good time. It was a good time. It was a fun conversation. So um, I hope I hope you all enjoy. As always, make sure to check out theblackandwhite.net. We still got some awesome stories going up by some awesome writers. And of course, check out therutabaga.net for some high quality satire courtesy of Walt Whitman High School. So without further ado, here we go. I'm here with Gabe Shaner, also known as a sad Packers fan at the moment. Gabe, even though the results on Sunday weren't as you wanted them to know, weren't as you wanted them to go, would you, could you agree that both games were entertaining? Oh, absolutely. And let me just start off by thanking you for having me on. I, I love it every time I come on. Glad it's such a blast. Glad you do. Yeah, I think, I think they were both unequivocally uh, entertaining, at least. I think that from a casual observer's perspective, you have to just be able to say objectively that um, each game had so many ups and downs, so many vintage moments, especially for the NFC championship. And then some, some moments where it was like, this is going to be the future. This is going to be the next 10 years, maybe uh, in the AFC championship. So it was a nice little dichotomy with the young and the experienced players um, facing off. And I don't know. I, I honestly, let me tell you that my score prediction for, um, each game was, I think it was 31, 27 chiefs and then 29, 26 Buccaneers. I always pick against the Packers cause I don't want to jinx them. Mm-hmm. So I guess like I, I got it right, but Man, it's just, it was so great to see Mahomes perform at the level that he performed at. It was so great to see, um, like, a competitive for the most part, or really up until halftime, AFC championship, because I imagine that the Chiefs are going to be pretty much locked in, barring any injuries and cap space issues uh, for several years. Um, and then, yeah, I'm happy to talk about the NFC Championship as well. So, yeah, let's start with that first. First of all, I do want to say, like, as a casual fan, when I'm not rooting for anybody, all I want is just a good football game. And that's what we got on Sunday. And I'm, I'm very happy. I, I, that, that was time well spent. It was time well spent as a, as a football fan. So let's start with the NFC Championship. It was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Ask what you're going to ask it was sort of a senior bowl part two. Um, but Rogers just has like a little bit of an edge in arm strength and overall skill than a uh, Drew Brees at the moment. I will say right off the bat, neither quarterback was that great. I mean, the second half Brady threw for, I think 78 yards and we're, we're all three of his picks in the second half. Yeah. I think they may have, all been in the third quarter. I could be wrong on that, though. So, yeah, he, was, he wasn't he was great. And then Rodgers, 
I was trying to figure out at the end of the game how much of the loss was on him because obviously you had a bunch of other stuff. Rodgers is to blame for, like, at least a little bit, and, and here's why. Rodgers, he was missing open receivers. It was 14 to 10, and I think I forgot who he tried to hit over the middle. He was going for the end zone, but Lazard was wide open in the end zone. If he had just thrown it, like, if he had just looked his way, he would have, he would have had him for a touchdown. And then it was 28-17. It was the free play where I forgot who on the Buccaneers jumped off sides, but it was a free play. And Devontae Adams was, there was no one within 15 yards of him. And if he just looked to his left, he would have had Devontae Adams for a touchdown. Kind of reminded me of uh, Daniel Jones when, the Giants played the Buccaneers in that Monday night game. If he just looked to his left, it's a 21-6 ball game. And I know this sounds like hindsight bias. I'm going to be saying that a couple of times on this pod, but I think the Giants won that game. So Rodgers was missing open receivers. But other than that, the offensive line was overwhelmed. The Bucks five sacks, even more uh, quarterback pressures. And then the, I think the real turning point was the end of the first half. So Devontae Adams drops the touchdown. It's a tough catch, but one he's made several times. Then you have – I think I'm going to skip a couple of drives to the Buccaneers' final drive before the half. That was um, – that was bad. That was terrible. Yeah. The, they, they, broke, they broke the first rule of those types of plays in that it's don't let anybody get behind you. It goes for not only football but a bunch of sports. Just don't let anybody get behind you and you're fine. I, I, I don't know why they were playing the middle of the field. And it confused me because that touchdown – it was the same play that uh, that got Mike Evans open on the first drive, and it was the first completion. I I just that was baffling to me. And then instead of fourteen fourteen, it's twenty one ten, and then the Buccaneers get the ball back after the Aaron Jones fumble, which I didn't know hurt him. And they they capitalize off the turnover, which is something the Packers did not do at all in this game. Gail, I'm going to hand it off to you here. What did you see in that sequence? What was your point of view? Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I I think as a fan, just pure rage. Uh, I just, year after year, the Packers make it this far. And it's when everything seems to unfold. They looked like the worst football team out there on the sun. Like of the four teams that played on Sunday, they looked like the worst. Their offensive line was horrendous. This is a unit that is typically, I mean, top 10 in the league. And I mean, yes, the Buccaneers are really speedy. They've got Levante David. They've got Jason Pierre-Paul. They've got Devin White, people that can really – 
get after the quarterback. I, I don't know how many sacks Devin White has actually, but he's he's a beast. Um, and they just looked outclassed. And they these games against the Buccaneers, these two, they've all been about momentum. And especially against Tom Brady, you're not going to win the momentum game when you can't capitalize on amazing opportunities. You saw Jair Alexander had probably the best game of his career. Uh, I mean, two picks that, yeah, like maybe those were a little lucky because he doesn't typically get picks because he doesn't typically get targeted. Yeah. Um, I think he got targeted once or twice in the game, didn't allow a catch. He's only allowed one minus three yard catch all postseason. Um, and, and he really put the team on his back. But then you see cornerbacks, Kevin King and Chandon Sullivan. They, I mean, they looked like college level cornerbacks. Kevin King bit on two really awful touchdowns. He, uh, Leonard Fournette actually broke a tackle from Kevin King for another one. So he, 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 la- he landed on him. Oh, like okay. provided like cushioning. So yeah, yeah. I could like boost into the end zone. So, I mean, that's three touchdowns right there on Kevin King. And there was a meme going around that was like, this man single-handedly gave Tom Brady his, his 10th Super Bowl appearance. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say single-handedly, but he was one of like three hands there. The Packers offensive line, um, they're, I, I'm not going to call it a mishap on Aaron Rodgers, but I think offensive uh, incompetence. So what's that? Kevin King, offensive incompetence, and then just the the non-existent offensive line. And I'm happy to talk about the coaching a little bit, but man, that's that's a hard one. And to think that Aaron Rodgers is now uncertain about his future as a Packer, like this game was looking back on it if he leaves this this was the game to point to this would have been like a must win for them and on the other side of things i mean the buccaneers didn't like they they had been averaging 33 points per game they they scored 31 but i i mean they got a field goal in crunch time so or garbage time so they really had 28 points tom brady threw three picks uh their receivers were dropping all sorts of great passes um yeah and and they they really had to live off of the packers not playing well so yeah i think this game the packers were really missing a second really good receiver like you could see when rogers was looking for somebody when Devonta adams wasn't open Lazard and MVS weren't creating a ton of space by themselves. And Tanyan, Tanyan was okay. But, again, them not getting another really good, or at least a potentially another really good receiver came back. They came back to bite him. He pretty much covered everything else for the Packers. Um, we have to talk about uh, fourth and goal, 31-23. Yeah. I think that was one of the big losers of Sunday overall. It was uh, it was math. Um, so it's fourth and what? They're at the nine yard line. Yeah. 
not a not a high percentage that they would have converted, but they would have had the bucks pinned. Okay, so yeah, even if you do get a few yards, you do have the bucks pinned, and obviously Brady's not great under pressure, so you could certainly maybe send a blitz and force him to get out of his comfort zone. Anyway, fourth and goal. You have there. I, I'm just restating all of the thoughts you probably have already thought to yourself, but you can say that LaFleur trusted his defense. I feel like if you're going to kick a field goal in that situation, your defense has to be like the 85 bears <laughs> or like if, if that, if that game was like, if it was a 14 to six game, like sure. Like I wouldn't have been as against that call because you would have been like, oh, you only gave up two offensive touchdowns. I think you could stymie them once again. But it was 31. And you have Aaron freaking Rodgers. Like, that, that's, that move sort of said, like, I don't fully trust Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. And then another thing, in, I don't know if this was regular season or also playoffs included, but the Packers this season, 60 red zone trips and 48 touchdowns. That's, that, that's historically good. That's better than good. That's, that's just historical, period. So I was surprised. I, I was extremely surprised. That was mind-boggling to me. And it's a shame that we may have seen Aaron Rodgers' last image in a Packers uniform walking off the field after his coach decided to cut an eight-point lead to five on fourth and goal. Yeah. So and, that, was, that was rather disappointing. And, I mean, obviously, it's, this is a huge, huge case of hindsight bias because if you knew you weren't going to be able to stop them, you'd obviously go for it. But I, I just think the upside – Way outweighed any kind of con there. Um, the thing is that it was just poorly coached towards the end. I thought Matt LaFleur, I mean, credit to him for almost staging a comeback, but he really, towards the end, it was clear that that someone I don't know, he was playing a little, little bit, he was calling a little bit more conservative a game, uh, than he typically does he's also not used to playing or not used to coaching a team that's down because the Packers would get out to huge leads and then give them up a little bit and then score a couple touchdowns late so it looks like a blowout but Mm -hmm. they aren't used to being down as bad as they were I think it was 18 points right 28 10 yeah it was 28 10 and I, yeah, I think they played all right down. I also, I, I want to draw our attention for a brief second to the conversation about, about the refing. And I just want to clarify something. I think oh yeah. That was another thing. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. A lot of people are saying that, you know, the, the refs cost the Packers the game, nah. which no, the Packers cost the Packers the game. But I will say if you're going to call nothing all game, None of that, because Aaron Rodgers got picked off. Obvious pass interference, maybe even more obvious than the um, last second. Was it Kevin King? On um, yes, yes, it was Kevin King. Kevin was the King Jersey again, and then um, Tyler Johnson but, put on an Oscar-worthy performance to seal the penalty. Yeah, and then 
Um, so Chris Godwin also flopped completely there. Um, it was not catchable, um, but he knew that, so he could. You're talking, you're talking about the you're talking about the last play. The, yeah, the the flag that cost the Packers uh, that third down. That was that was a uh, Tyler Johnson, I believe, the rookie receiver. But okay, keep, uh, I, keep going. I, I swear it was Chris Godwin, but you could be right. Um, yeah. So if if the refs aren't going to call it all game, they didn't call it on the Rodgers interception, um, which is the reason he threw that interception uh, because there was some some holding on the defense that allowed him to mm-hmm. get in better position to intercept the ball. You can't call that last penalty. Like, at, in context, you cannot. If you didn't call the last one, you sure as hell shouldn't be calling that one. And it, it just kind of goes to show that that the refing solution, like, that they've implemented, uh, the, the solutions they've implemented to make things better haven't really done much. You have refs pretty much determining the game here. Because they're again, like they're not calling it the entire game. Okay, so why don't you not call it on that last important play? Uh, I, I don't know. That that just ticked me off. But obviously, I think the Packers beat themselves here. The refs were only a small part of that. Who knows if they would have even been been able to to come back and score with their atrocious offensive line uh, play to that point? I, I just. I don't know. It was one of the hardest games to watch as a Packers fan. Um, and and earlier you said that Rodgers needed a third receiver. I don't, I don't know if I I don't know if I agreed with that. I think he needed to to look Adams' way even more. Like he targeted him fifteen times, which is a lot, and he got nine catches. But you should be targeting your top receiver twenty. 20 times a game if you're if you're down and you're throwing 48 passes because it's Devontae Adams he's he's no stranger to to 13 catch games he can handle it he's he's got a mean stiff arm he he could have done stuff after the catch and maybe some of that was a little bit lost trust from those three straight incompletions towards Adams but I, I just think like he got about the most he could have gotten out of MVS Marquez Valdez Scandling, uh, because he's he's really good for four catches and a hundred yards because he's really good after, um, because he's got a four three forty so you can just toss it deep to him and pretty much he'll he'll come down with like one in every two or three, um, so I think Aaron Rodgers got all he could out of Scant- Valdez Scandling. But he didn't really use Adams the way Adams had been used in some of the really important games. But yeah. Okay. So, what if Devontae Adams isn't open? Um, well, are you still targeting him 20 times, but five of those throws he was completely covered? Well, I, I, I think he, he's, he's open 20 times a game. I mean, he's, he's got the best release in the game not open Aaron Rodgers has solid check down receivers and Jamal Williams and obviously Aaron Jones got hurt but um typically then and then Tunyon's a good 
fourth option. And then and then there's Lazard and Scantling. But Scantling Valdez Scantling is more of again the deep threat. So you pretty much have to know you're throwing to him or if it's a free play, just send him deep. But yeah, so, I, they had plenty of options. I, I don't I don't know if that was a huge issue. Okay. That's that's yeah, and I guess you can't like Rogers was getting sacked and whatnot. I, I'm just saying it would have been nice to have yeah, like sure. a solid like number two because I think is is I guess Lazard and MVS switch off as sort of the wide receiver twos and threes. But like, imagine if someone like Marquise Brown was on the Packers as a wide receiver two. Like that that would have been nice. I don't think it would have been necessary, but I feel like it would have made Rogers' job a whole lot easier. Or, okay, let's... or Will Fuller, <laughs> or but, yeah, yeah, maybe. All right, let's let's move on from the Packers. I I do want to quickly talk about the Buccaneers because they're obviously the ones that are going to the Super Bowl. This is gonna sound like hindsight bias. That's uh three times I think already we've used that. Um. Shout out all the psychology teachers. Um, they coming in the playoffs. I, I they were the most talented team. It was just a question of whether they could channel that into victories, and they certainly have. So on defense, their game breakers really propel them. Game breakers meaning like they probably have X factors in Madden. Oh yeah. Devin White, fifteen total tackles and a fumble recovery. Sean Murphy bunting with his third pick of the season as a rookie? As a rookie. That's ridiculous. Shaq Barrett earning himself millions of dollars probably. Uh three sacks and four QB pressures. JPP, former giant two sacks, four QB pressures himself, and then there was uh, – is it Tahir Whitehead? Or is it Tahir Jordan, Whitehead? Jordan Whitehead? Jordan Whitehead. Ron Whitehead. Jordan Whitehead. He is just a hard-ass hitter. You saw that hit on uh, Jamal Williams where he sent him flying. So he, he one, those kinds of guys that are willing to just put their bodies on the line for the love of the game, can't, you can't not respect those guys. This game – this game showed why Tom Brady came to Tampa Bay. Just so much, so many more weapons, so many more toys to play with, and just a lot more firepower here in Tampa Bay. And I feel like when he was looking at this, he was like, "Hmm, I, I could, I could be this, the last piece of this puzzle." Because we saw last year, it was most mostly the same group. Their defense was on the rise. It was just Jameis Winston, even though he would throw 450 yards and four touchdowns, he, was also, he would also throw five interceptions. That would pretty much cost him the game. And now that Godwin broke out, even though he was dropping stuff yesterday, it, Brady really has proved to be sort of the final piece of his puzzle because this defense, this defense is awesome. And it, it the, I was thinking about the Patriots, their skill position players aren't doing nearly this well. Like, it was very, again, very clear in this game why Tom Brady came to Tampa Bay. 
And I think e- even if he does lose the Super Bowl to, to the Chiefs, just listen to these stats real quick. He's 33-11 and 11 in the playoffs. That's almost double the next closest quarterback. If he, assuming he plays in the Super Bowl, he will have played in 45 postseason games. Gabe, can you guess how many NFL franchises haven't even played 45 postseason games? I'll give you a hint. It's more than 10. I'm going to say 17. Tom Brady has, will have played more postseason games than 21 NFL franchises. He will have made 14 out of 19 possible championship games. That's conference championship Super Bowl included. And this will be his 10th Super Bowl appearance. His first with Tampa Bay, obviously. I, it's just... Uh, Torrey Smith, he put out a tweet earlier this year that I really liked. I don't know how much meaning this has to the conversation, but he said, uh, Tom Brady is the GOAT, but Aaron Rodgers is the better player. Oh, yeah. I thought that was I thought that was accurate, but Tom Brady he I think if he wins this Super Bowl I think he has a case for greatest American athlete ever, just that we've ever seen. Yeah, you can't. You, I feel like you wouldn't be able to argue with seven Super Bowl wins in ten tries, especially with the teams he was on in those later years in New England. And then it proved to be there was this whole Brady Belichick thing. Who was it? It it was Brady. It was Brady. And even though, as a Giants fan, I've come to not like Tom Brady, I can only respect him for what he has accomplished. Yeah. Wait. I want to kind of qualify that tweet you mentioned. There's there's this saying that Aaron Rodgers is the most skilled player quarterback of all time and I totally think that's accurate just the stuff he's able to do it's just the teams around him and the coaching around him has just been so abysmal over the years it's just he hasn't been able to amass the same accolades uh, Brady has been able to and yeah this Bucks team is super talented I mean they look like a super team and I, I do agree as Tom Brady, I think there may even already be an argument that it's between him and Michael Jordan, maybe um, for greatest athlete of all time from the United States. Certainly. Certainly. Um, There's not really much to say other than the Bucs played a great game on defense. Um, they they channeled their talent into victories. We've seen the season when it ha- when it has gone wrong. I feel like that's a part partially why people picked against them is because they had those games against the Bears and the two games against the Saints where they just got absolutely destroyed. And I think people were hesitant to pick them because of those games. Um, but they. They really, they really put all the pieces together, and they're on to the Super Bowl now. And it was pretty amazing that some people were picking them to miss the playoffs at the beginning of the season. Um, I, I could understand that. It was a new team, no offseason, no training camp, whatnot. But, hey, 
maybe their talent will propel them to a Super Bowl title for the first time since 2002 in their home stadium, in their home stadium with a 43-year-old quarterback at the helm. So that'll be pretty impressive. All right, let's move on to uh, the nightcap, Buffalo, Kansas City. So the Bills go up 9 nothing after the Hardman fumble. And I blinked, and it was 14-9, Kansas City. It's, it's really unbelievable how fast and efficient their offense is. It, it, it was a less extreme case this year, but remember against the Texans last year, they went down 24 to nothing. You went to the bathroom, and the game was 28-24. It's just so incredible how productive. They're, they're, they're the epitome of a well-oiled machine on offense. They scored on six straight possessions after going down 9 nothing. It, it just looked like they could do whatever they wanted on offense. Travis Kelsey, he is a lock for 100 receiving yards. He, he might be the most productive tight end I've ever seen in my life. Other than maybe Gronk in his glory days on the Patriots. It's just, it's mythical. It's, it's really mythical, and it's going to be an absolute treat to watch this team for, for a few years. And their, their defense came to play. Their defense really came to play. As, a, as Tony Romo called it, their coverage was really – it was sticky all game. It was sticky. Um, if Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a head coaching job soon, I'm going to be mad. I don't know how he hasn't gotten a head coaching job yet. Apparently he's in he he's in the second interview second round of interviews for the Texans yeah whichever which yeah the Texans I hope he goes there because obviously that's the only head coaching spot open but I just really want to see him as a, as a head coach that would be nice as for the Bills no sounds like hindsight bias but it was over after the Bills kicked the field goal to go down. 21-12 when they were down 21-9 on fourth and goal. It amazed me that the Bills have been so aggressive all year and then they choose not to be aggressive when they most needed to be aggressive. You need all the points you can get against the Kansas City Chiefs. And Sean McDermott, not once but twice, cut a two-possession game to a two-possession game. So... That continues the mantra of the a big loser on Sunday being uh, just, just math. Also, the thing when they were down 38-21 and went for two. Math. Come on. Uh, yeah. Gabe, what did, what did you take away from the game before, um, before I get to another thing on the Bills? What, what were your takeaways from this game? First of all, I think there's a legit argument for Josh Allen being the best mobile quarterback in the NFL. It's it's like between him and Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen can get it done on the ground. And I don't think correct me if I'm wrong, but Stefan Diggs didn't didn't play super well. Uh and I again it was it was like two completely different teams out there. Uh it's amazing how well Patrick Mahomes plays down 
yeah, again, you cite the Texans game. When I watched that live, it was absurd. I just saw this raw skill in him that I just haven't seen anywhere else. And to go back one more time to the tweet when you're talking about Aaron Rodgers is the most skilled quarterback of all time. Tom Brady has the best accolades, so he's the best quarterback of all time. Patrick Mahomes could end up being better than both in skill oh, and in accolades. The man is is a, an NBA, uh, not NBA, sorry, NFL MVP candidate every single year for the rest of his career, likely, without, again, barring injury and barring Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill leaving. It's because mm-hmm. we don't know how how good he'll be with a bunch of a bums at receiver for lack of a better word um, and, and tight end, but he's tremendous. I mean, the throws he makes the, the trick plays he pulls out of his sleeve are just so amazing. And also, I mean, the Kansas city defense is by no means bad. Uh, when, when it comes time for them to, to need to play well, they play well. And I don't know. I don't really have, have much insight because I didn't watch the entire game. But th- those were a couple of my, my takeaways. So Patrick Mahomes is not in that category for best mobile quarterback. No, because he's not. I mean, like, yeah, he can do it on the ground, but he's not going to get 100 yards on the ground ever. But Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson do frequently. Are you sure about that? I know Lamar Jackson, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put that I'm gonna put that to rest. We've got more important things to talk about. So for the Bills, it this was sort of a gambler's fallacy for me. Their offense had been so good in the last few weeks of the regular season. Indianapolis played them tough. They scored 27 points. Then there's the slugfest with the Ravens. They score one offensive touchdown. I thought they were due for an offensive explosion. I really thought. I just the, the, their offensive like too well at the end of the season for me to think that 27 and three points was like a, was like that was that. I thought there there was some kind of 35-point Josh Allen, 300 yards, four touchdowns. Stephon Diggs, 10 catches, 120 yards, two touchdowns. Some that kind of outburst in them. And it just didn't happen. Um, Josh Allen had one completion of over 20 yards, and that was in garbage time, essentially. Usually, when he rolls out, he finds someone. Whether that be immediately when he starts his rollout or like when he's centimeters away from stepping out of bounds. That was not the case at all against Kansas City. You saw him rolling right almost every play, and there was there was nothing there. Chiefs coverage. It was sticky. And another thing, he had opportunities oftentimes to throw it away, but he, he just didn't. Like, someone on the Chief, a Chiefs defender would, like, be on his left side He'd be like staving them off, like he was like they were his little brother or something, and he was like holding the ball in his right hand, trying to keep it away, and he just wouldn't throw it away, even though he had opportunities opportunities to to do so, which I thought was which I thought was odd. 
Um, the, the Bills offense crashed back down to earth. Um, I think Zach Moss was a really not talked about loss for them. He's just kind of there pounded like what Garrett Blunt just get a few hard, like difficult yards. I thought that was an underrated loss. Um, a cool next gen stat for this game. I didn't do one for Packers Bucks, but cool next gen stat. Patrick Mahomes out of the play action was 11 for 11 for 173 yards and a touchdown. Wow. Jared Goff can only dream about that. <laughs> um, this was just a complete game for the Chiefs on both sides of the ball. They're rightfully, I believe, they're three-point favorites to open the Super Bowl. Or that I think I believe that is the opening line is Chiefs by three, which I understand. Um, actually, one more thing before I get to that. Uh, one uh, little comedy wrinkle. The, uh, the big white rectangle cardboards, the fans at uh, the Lambeau Field were waving all game. Uh, that, was, uh, that was an interesting something. Uh, it felt like kind of like one of those weird dystopian movies. Just watching it uh, when Suckup was kicking the field goal to go up 31 to 23. You, you, you could see them all game. I thought it was interesting. That's something I don't know if they should continue, but I, th- I thought it was funny. Um, so before we get out of here, let's make, a, let's make a quick Super Bowl prediction before we do like a, an official Super Bowl preview podcast. Gabe, when you first look at Chiefs-Bucks, what are you thinking? Um, I, I don't have a score prediction off the top of my head, so I'm going to talk my way to one. Uh, All right. Two really high score, or relatively high scoring, considering the the offensive firepower on both in both conferences. Uh, I think the Chiefs are pretty much a lock for thirty plus points. Obviously, keep the receipts on that because if they score under thirty points, I'm going to feel real bad. And and the Buccaneers too. I mean, they'll score anywhere from from twenty seven to thirty five. So I'm taking another high-scoring game. I'm going to say 37-30 Chiefs over the Buccaneers. And I I, I just – I believe in the Chiefs more than I believe in the Buccaneers, and I will be cheering for a good football game. All right, so keep in mind, subject to change as the week goes on. This is just our initial no – not a ton of formal research done yet, but there's one side of me that's like the Chiefs are this well-oiled machine, not even the best of defenses can stop. On the other hand, it's how dare I pick against Tom Brady, especially with all of his supporting cast. Um, I'm going to go... So the Super Bowl last year, it was... 30 to the final score was 30 to 20 and the 49ers defense was basically they had basically shut down the Chiefs offense until the fourth quarter as good as it was last year I predicted I thought the Niners were going to win 
I thought defense won championships. I just thought the Chiefs defense wasn't good enough. But they stepped up. They stepped up. They stepped up. Um, or something I learned from that is don't pick a quarterback you wouldn't trust to run a two-minute drill. In this case, would be Jimmy Garoppolo. I think initially, I think, oof, good lord, this is going to be really close because if the Buccaneers can channel their talent as well as they did against the Packers, especially defensively. And Mitchell Schwartz is probably not going to play. His Achilles injuries are not just week-to-week things. And the way Andy Reid was talking about it, I mean, granted, it's it's the head coach. He's probably not going to say anything yet, but it didn't sound good. So especially against that ferocious Bucks front, I'm going to go Chiefs 31, Bucks 27 right now. But again, that is subject to change. Um, Gabe, this was this was fun. Yeah, as always. For those who stuck around, uh, make sure to check out the Black and White .net. We've still got awesome stories going up from some awesome writers. Gabe, do you have anything new to promote for the Rutabaga? Yeah, actually, today there were some articles published. Um, some some great. Some great contributions there. Uh, let me pull up the Rutabaga website really quickly. But yeah, overall, uh, some excellent stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's some, some news about Boris Johnson uh, Oh, quitting his job and, and starting a new one that people, people need to know. It, it's the news that counts, people. I mean, read it, the Rutabaga.net. If you if you um if you enjoyed their articles last week about abolishing babies and hating on people that wear shorts in thirty degree weather, I can assure you that you will like whatever the Rutabaga has in the future because those those articles they they were they were great, they they really were. Gabe, thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure. Everyone, make sure stay safe. Wear a mask when you go out in public. Wash your hands. Maintain social distancing. As for the podcast this week, I plan to have a Washington Wizards-themed Bradley Beal Trade Destinations podcast at some point this week. And we will probably have a Super Bowl preview next week. So that is all. Everyone, enjoy your night or day whenever you're listening to this.